Show number 57 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK. Talk, Trek. Something you've got in the film clip, and we've got to clear this up right now because it's a very serious issue yeah, throughout Australia. Who is the better captain, Picard or Captain Kirk? Oh, you know, I, I have my own personal uh, opinions, but that's like asking about a religion or politics. You know, I don't want to get into that. It's, it's too divisive of a situation. Fair enough. But are you a big Shatner fan? I mean, one, one of my favourite podcasts I like listening to is the Look at His Butt podcast, which is two girls talking about William Shatner's butts in different episodes of Star Trek. How do you feel about that? I have no- I've never heard of that podcast, but I will have to subscribe to that now. I, I'm a big fan of uh, William Shatner's recorded work. I, I love the album that he did with Ben Folds. Oh. And, of course, the transformed man. I mean, he, he's an underrated performer. Yay, Maynard! Thank you, Maynard! Wasn't that great? That you was... know, it, it hadn't occurred to me that I should actually drop an email to Weird Al to say, <gasps> Dude! Dude, here it is! is. Maynard okay, about it. for those of you who don't know, that was Maynard, our great, wonderful oh. friend from Australia. Australia. Talking to Weird Al Yankovic. Um who is, you know, promoting all, all the stuff well, he does. Yeah. But he's got a video out right now. Now, have you seen this? I have seen it. It yes. is so funny. And it's full of Trek references. Tons of Trek references. And so Maynard was interviewing him and put in a plug for us. That's so great. Now, that is on Maynard's actual podcast, which yes. goes out to many, many people. So he just gave us a huge plug for I know. free. Which... butt plug. <laughs> it's just so wonderful. <gasps> now, speaking of Maynard. Oh yes, Maynard is is just so so funny. We uh, we have so many wonderful funny fans, and we love the stuff they send us. He sent us <laughs> a clip, a video clip of a, a segment he did for TV uh-huh. when he was touring the Star Trek set that went on tour all mm-hmm. by himself. And he sent it to us, and he sent the email. <laughs> he says. This is the set that the guy bought when Paramount forgot about right. it. Oh, so in this clip, which I'm going to try to actually put up on the site, if, if Maynard will give me permission to do it, I want to get him in trouble with copyrights, is him dressed as Kirk, sitting in the captain's chair with the crew, mostly women, right? I think yes. maybe all women, all around him, and throwing themselves violently to the left and to the right, and him being very captainly and telling everybody, Left! <laughs> right! <laughs> So you just have to say it because that one sentence doesn't make any sense. Which one? This one. Oh, he says, which crew member may I have been doing? <laughs> because he was dressed as Kirk and That's sitting right. in the captain's chair. But he also has these interesting insights. Yes. Frankly, the control panels make better lust-out spots than the captain's chair. Uh-huh. I think we, we Americans would say make-out, but uh-huh. we all know what he means. The boots have no traction either side of the captain's chair, but I'm sure the Shat man worked it out. Well, we never saw him slip or fall no, off no, that no. little platform. Then he says, <laughs> he probably used Nimoy's trailer anyway when he wasn't busy hiding Leonard's bicycle in body cavities. <laughs> and I just have to say, 
Thank you, because now I really do want to hear the bicycle story again, just because I'll be thinking of this strange new twist on where Bill hid the bicycle. Oh, man, that was funny. That was so great. Oh, we love Maynard. So in case you guys haven't guessed, this is our Christmas show. It is. And it's all about you. It is, because we have so much goodness that we need to share with everybody else. Yes. So so um, it's like an all-email, all-weblink show, you know, stuff you've sent us, said to us. Yeah. We started out with Maynard, but we've got just a ton of stuff ton to get stuff. through. So I want to I wanna go over here now, and I want to read some responses to the, the last before one show. Not the Boston Legal Marathon, <laughs> but the one before The last that. before one show. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it's not penultimate. There's got to be some word for it, but I don't remember what it was. Maybe it is penultimate. I like um, last before one. So we were talking about Arena. And um, as you guys saw, I hope, at the blog, I had posted um, a screen cap and then the clip to uh, the, the Gorn blinking, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So um, we got some email from Greg, and he points out one thing, which is that if you go over to StarTrek.com, there's a certain section of the site that you can get to that lets you see... Um, and I'm showing it to JK now, a comparison between the new and the old remastered shots. They put them right next to each other. Oh, cool. And then below it, there's a little bit of explanation for what looks different about it. So here's a pairing of shots from Arena, which mm-hmm. is why I pulled it up here, showing how it was in the original, which is the one down here. And they point out, and you can really see this in the screen cap, is that instead of a skyline in the background when we're, they're down on the devastated planet, it's like a crumpled piece of aluminum foil that they spray-painted instead of the sky. <laughs> and they speculated here it was probably because they had to get rid of, like, wires or something that you right. could see, and this was the fastest way that they could do it. And then a remastered edition, they've put back in a regular background. They've also added this nice crater here and just kind of cleaned it up so it looks cool. And you know what that set is? What is it? I forget what movie, but it's like from a Gladiator movie. Is it really? That doesn't surprise me It looks like a Gladiator movie, doesn't it? Yeah, it totally does. So they have some other things in here, um, and I'm just scrolling through it. I'll put up a link to this little area, but they show you um, how they they made the the shuttlecrafts look a little bit better. Um, There's a nice scene from um, the cage, a.k.a. Menagerie, where they show you how the background looks better here, and everything just Mm -hmm. looks brighter and greener. So um, it, it's pretty cool to see the two shots right next to each other. And then I, I don't know who wrote the commentary for it, but it's very good. It's sort of technical sounding stuff. So it, it's cool. And they do show um, the, this is where the clip of the Gorn was. And you can well, really see the difference like in the yeah. planet here. We'll go back drive. one because they're, they're showing a clip from one of my favorite Bad Trek moments. Which is when they beam down in the menagerie. Uh-huh. The, the, the girl they beam down to before they get there. She's an, like an idiot. She's in Starfleet. <laughs> this one, right? Yeah. And she's still doing it. When she knows they're going to beam down, she's looking up to the sky. Like she's going to see them coming. Here, here comes the beam. Yeah. You know, what comes. an idiot. Here it comes. So um, it, it's a pretty cool little scroll through. And I have to say, I have not been successful in watching any of the other ones. Um, because they just seem to be on at weird times, and I haven't gotten it together to, like, tape it or anything. Um, There was one in here that I wanted to show you. Let's see if I can find it. This one. So I thought that this was really cool. Mm -hmm. So this was in um, Corbomite Maneuver, and if you remember, when they get really close to the giant, really big alien spaceship, it basically looks like a magnification of bubble wrap or something like that. And in the remastered version, it looks really cool. It does. Very science fiction. Yeah, so... Um, if you haven't gotten to see any of the remastered ones, I think this is just a good look at what they've done and how they've, again, tried to preserve the intent of the original and all that good stuff. So it just gives you a flavor for what's there. Okay. Now, 
Um, Greg also says, which I, I was just so happy. He says, I'd always thought that bamboo stalks consisted of a series of closed off cylinders, cylinders like bulkheads in a submarine. And he sent some <laughs> links to pictures so you can see what bamboo looks like. Check the pictures at the bottom of the page. So instead of the gunpowder falling out of the bottom, Kirk's problem would have been not being able to get the powder past the first segment. Yeah. But perhaps there are other types of bamboo which are completely hollow or with one end closed off with a hole for a fuse. Space bamboo. <laughs> so, I, I think he's right. That is actually the way bamboo grows. So then the, the puzzle becomes, how did he manage to smash through all the little landings? Okay, and- <laughs> it is space bamboo, because we're thinking it's bamboo. He's on another planet. It's something that looks like bamboo. It's like if you beam down to another planet uh-huh. that you've never been on before, uh-huh. and you saw something that looked like a hamburger, would you instantly think, oh, good, I'll eat this? It might just be a space thing that looks like a hamburger, and it's a live animal, or it's poison for you. If it was me and I was hungry enough, I probably would. You probably would, because I just saw you eat lunch. <laughs> it's true. Um so anyway, so the bamboo conundrum remains. If it's earth bamboo, it doesn't make not. any sense. If it's space okay, bamboo... when they're filming, it's earth bamboo. Once it gets out on our TV it's screen, space it's space bamboo. So it's a special kind of space bamboo that's completely hollow, except it has a bottom. Except when you need the bottom to fall right, off. Right, with a hole for a fuse. Yeah. All right. Because the Metron said so. So it's Metron bamboo. Yeah. All right. That, see, Metron bamboo, that works. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, we solved that now. Yeah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. <laughs> we can check that off our list. More yeah. space problems uh, yeah. we have solved. Metron Speaking of lists, <laughs> Media oh, Bill has yay! conquered. I'm so happy. Who sent this to us? You can hear me opening things, right? This is one of our loyal fans, and I have to read the note that came with it. Okay. It's a Star Trek pillowcase. <laughs> it's a space pillowcase. Enclosed is the Star Trek pillowcase I told you about. Isn't it odd? (laughs) Well, yeah, odd would be one of the words. Notice how Mr. Spock is ready to clean up this planet with his trusty yellow sponge. (laughs) It's true. My husband remembered that we originally bought the set at Woolworths years ago. I don't know if the store still exists somewhere, but the one at Del Amo Mall is long gone. So this is an actual Star Trek pillowcase that probably came with a sheet set, I'm imagining. Yeah, probably. And and it was probably for a twin bed, for a kid's bed. And it was made from this sort of really cheesy polyester yeah, blend thing. And it has been through many, many washings. We actually were trying to look at the tag inside to see the fabric content. But alas, it's been washed too many times. And this came from Blue Jay. Yeah. And it's so wonderful. You're going to see pictures of it. But it's a a very light blue background with stars and snow-capped mountains and planets. And Kirk and Spock running. Spock's wearing a red shirt. And carrying a sponge. With a very strange sort of body. And they're both sort of looking off to the sides. Uh So they're running in the wrong direction. Mm -hmm. And then over here, our other crewmen. This is... um, this is crewman Crispin Glover, I think, because it really looks like him. Like, doesn't it look like him? Yeah. And I don't know who this guy is. It's it's crewman um, Italian guy. It, it, it is. I was going to say, it's Tony from the neighborhood. It's Tony from the neighborhood, or maybe it's um, Michael Corleone. It's crewman Michael Corleone. <laughs> but this is so, so wonderful. It and, is. Oh. We love it. We are so in love with it. It's just just the whole idea of a Star Trek pillowcase. Do you think there was a, a, a blanket, a comforter? There might have been. Um, 
and and a, a bed ruffle. A bed ruffle <laughs> <laughs> and curtains. <laughs> I swear, you know. Since I know my husband will never let me actually put this on the bed, I'm wondering <laughs> if I should take it apart and make it into a little skirt for my office oh, chair. Oh, that would Would be that cute. not be too cool? I think maybe you should just frame it. <laughs> well, I shouldn't frame it. I should take it and have it professionally framed so it's archived and saved forever. It's got the Starship Enterprise. But <laughs> look what it says on the Starship Enterprise. Paramount Pictures <laughs> Corporation, 1976. Wow. And it's got a little um, sort of... Uh, Wow. Damage. Yeah, you know, 1976. Like it's been in a that is so interesting. Wow. I love this. I just, oh, I love it. It's great. I'm we gonna are so wear happy. it for the rest of the show because it just makes me, <laughs> makes me happy. Okay, so thank you, thank you, Blue Jay. Thank Jake, you. Wonderful we gift. love it. We love it. Okay, what's next on your list? Um, we have an email from a listener, a listener named Patrick, and he tells us a very funny story about another Patrick. Oh, yes, I love so it. This was really good. So, um, he he also said very funny in the email. He says, um, "Please, I promise that this thing has gone through spell check, but it only gets me so far. Please do not make fun of my spelling, or I will cry like a little girl, which would make mo- both of us uncomfortable." Well, maybe him, but <laughs> I don't know how uncomfortable we'd be. But we won't make fun we won't because make fun. it's such a wonderful story you sent us. It is. He says, "I was listening to a podcast that had a roundtable discussion about the new Battlestar Galactica. It featured a number of cast members and the head producer Ron Moore. The podcast is available at the Sci Fi Network, but it's about three hours." long, which means you and I will never listen to it. Right, because we don't have time to do stuff we really need to do. Exactly. So he says, as you know, Ron Moore used to be a writer on Star Trek TNG. At one point in this podcast, he told the story of his first day on the set. Um, it was the, he said, Ron Moore says, it was the first script I ever sold and I was very excited. I stood there on the set trying my best to look like I belonged, but also trying not to get in the way. At one point when they were between sets, a producer introduced me to Patrick Stewart. He was told that I was the writer of this show and Patrick asked me if I was going to be writing any more episodes. I had already sold my second script and I started explaining what it was about. Yes, it's an episode about a Romulan defector and the Federation and blah, blah, blah. Patrick interrupted me at this point and said, Keep in mind, the captain of this ship doesn't do nearly enough screwing and shooting. <laughs> Patrick then In that order. <laughs> Patrick then spun on his heels and walked away while the room blew up with laughter. I love that. So, And the title of this was... The title the of the email. email was, Even Picard Wanted to be Kirk. That, <laughs> and it doesn't surprise me a bit. <laughs> More screwing and, and shooting I'm in sure that order. And i Patrick Stewart got the job, he thought... Oh, good. My career is going to take a really interesting term, turn, and I'm not going to be playing these, these stuffy, stuck-up snoot faces anymore. <laughs> I'm going to be screwing and shooting just like Captain Kirk just did. Like Captain Kirk. Oh, like, little did he know. Turned out not to be not the case. Not really the case. So we're very happy. So thank you, Patrick, for sending in that hilarious story. That's, that is so that's funny. That's wonderful. Okay, what else have I got on my list? Oh, well... Speaking about people who are on TNG, this is an email you sent me about Will Wheaton. <laughs> yeah. I, I had mentioned, I think, in a previous show that he is writing um, reviews of TNG episodes that he appeared in, and he's doing it sequentially. And um, every so often, he does it maybe one, uh, twice a month or something like that. And his comments are very, very, very funny. Um, and he gives a little bit of inside dirt as well. And this was just a particularly funny thing because it happened to mention Kirk, and I thought it was just great. Okay, now I'm going to mispronounce all the names, so uh, except for like Wesley and Kirk. So don't make fun of me or I'll cry like a little girl. <laughs> that would be uncomfortable. It would be. Okay, this is what Will Wheaton has written. 
After extracting a promise that the Edo won't kill Wesley before sundown, Patrick takes Riven with him back to the Enterprise. Once there, he shows her, quote, God. <laughs> this is, quite honestly, a nice little homage to the original series. Whenever Captain Kirk took a hot babe back to the spaceship, he showed her God, too. Sometimes he showed her an entire <laughs> pantheon of gods, and he never called her back, baby, because that's just how he rolled, leaving broken hearts all over the galaxy. Oh yeah. <laughs> I think that's great. He showed her God, too. (laughs) That is just how he rolled. Oh, yeah. I like that the TNG people were so aware that they were in Kirk's shadow. Oh, yeah. And a big shadow it was. It was a big, big shadow. Oh, my God. That was funny. (laughs) That was really great. Okay. What next? Well, now it's your turn. Is it? Oh, my God. Well, what do I have? What am I supposed to be talking about? Um... Hold on. I don't know. You told me you had windows open. She told me she was ready. I did, but I think I read all my things. Oh, we could talk about the Star Trek interview book. That's what I wanted oh, to okay. talk about. But now I have to find it. Okay, well, then I'll talk about something else while you're looking. I hope I Okay, I was that. watching Celebrity Jeopardy. Now, listeners, I'm going to pose you the, the Jeopardy question. And you're just going to be appalled at what I'm going to tell you happened. Okay. i got to find it. <laughs> Okay, the question had to do... Okay, this, you know, Jeopardy, they phrase it as an answer and you give them the question. He fake killed Kirk with the Vulcan death grip in the Enterprise incident. Okay, none of the stupid, stupid celebrities even rang in. There is just no excuse for that level of cultural ignorance because all you had to hear was Kirk and Vulcan and... A two-year-old could guess the answer, right? <laughs> totally. 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 So here's, here's the three celebrities, and we must now boycott everything they ever do. And it's really going to break my heart on one of them, because mm-hmm. one of them I like. Martin Short, he's not the one I like. He's a jerk. Jolie Fisher, I don't even know who she is. And Mario Cantone, who I happen to like. <sighs> but none of them rang in. Not to even guess. <sighs> that was so... so- so obvious. Sad and pathetic. Very, very pathetic. And, you know, celebrities, they're supposed to know everything. That's why they're celebrities. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to answer that. (laughs) Um, So it turns out that, like, I don't have the thing on my computer because I burned it to a CD or something. Okay, then we'll talk about other things. Okay, I'm now in a new... uh, new um window here so let's talk about this then the this very is short great stories. we love very short stories okay um this is an article that appeared in wired mm-hmm. magazine mm-hmm. and it says we'll be brief hemingway once wrote a story in just six words for sale baby shoes never worn which is a great story. It is a great story. And it's said to have called it his best work. So we asked sci-fi, horror, fantasy, and horror writers from the realms of books, TV, movies, and games to take a shot for themselves. Um, dozens of our favorite auteurs put their words to paper, and five master graphic designers took them to the drawing board. Sure, Arthur C. Clarke refused to trim his... God said, cancel program Genesis. The universe ceased to exist. But the rest are concise masterpieces. And here's William Shatner. He was the first one first on the list. First one. First on the list. Failed SAT. Lost scholarship. Invented rocket. 
That's so him. It is. <coughs> I also happen to like Joss Whedon's. Which one was his? Gown removed carelessly. Head less so. <laughs> there were a number of good ones in there. <laughs> and David Brin's Vacuum Collision, Orbits Diverge, Farewell Love. Um, I like Margaret Atwood's. Okay, we've got to scroll down. we got to scroll down. <laughs> Longed for him. Got him. Shit. <laughs> And Rudy Rucker has his penis snapped off. He's pregnant. <laughs> there are a lot of good ones in here. Um, they published some in the magazine, and then online there were many, many more. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people got to go more than once because right. they said they had good ones. Some of them are really predictable. I was a little bit disappointed with some of the writers because the same idea seems to be recycled several times. I mean, mm-hmm. there there are some that are much like Joss's where they play on a like a kind of a gruesome ending. And there right. are a number of them that... Um, work on this time machine sort of thing. Alan Moore did one, which is probably the best of the bunch there. And Alan Moore's is... <laughs> that is funny! Machine, period. Unexpectedly, I'd invented a time. <laughs> That's very That's clever. really good. And then there are others, though, that are the same idea, but executed less well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. But there, there are some good. Yeah. Some good ones. So, we like that Bill made that list. And he was number one. He, he was, was the first one. one. He's Bill. He's Bill. He's Bill. Okay. Now a very, very special treat for you all. You know we love to review all the Shatner stuff we can find to review. Yes. But there's so much of it. We are so happy to have others pitch in. Mm -hmm. And our buddy Echo, she of the fabulous icons Mm -hmm. and inspirational posters, has been watching what is apparently a ten-part thing called Voice of the Planet. Right. In which... Bill has lots of discussions with the planet, mm-hmm. which apparently sounds like Faye Dunaway. <laughs> and um, the, the reviews she's written are so incredible. We are going to post them as, as text files. She's reviewed four segments so far. But we wanted to read to you all the third one. And it's kind of longish, so I might read part of it and then turn it over to Lena. But this is part three. The Sacred and Profane. A terribly clever review by Echo. In this segment... Bill stays put in his posh Himalayan cabin while Gaia uses the computer to show him images of how water on Earth has shaped biology and culture. Pilgrims have been trekking to the source of precious liquid for millennia. Trekking. I get it. Har har. (laughs) This episode was notable for its extensive footage of Bill hanging out at a mountain stream. Having divested himself of his shoes, socks, and trousers, he sits on a big flat rock clad only in a flannel shirt and black briefs. Oh, God, I can Uh, hardly read further. Can I just interrupt for one second? The big flat rock thing made me laugh out loud because there's an episode of The Simpsons Mm -hmm. where um, Patty, is it Patty or Selma, marries um, uh, Uh, Troy McClure? Yes. And um, so she moves into his weird space house and everything, and she has that giant iguana that's her pet. Oh, right, right. And which is called Jub-Jub. Yeah. I don't know why it's called Jub-Jub. And she's complaining to him at one point that she, you know, she's not happy, and he says, you know, what more could you ask for? You've got me, you've got this great house, you've got a big, flat, hot rock for Jub-Jub to lay on. (laughs) (laughs) So always, I just have that phrase. So this is a Simpsons joke in the middle of this serious ecology movie. Getting back to Bill on the big flat rock. Okay, sorry. His feet dangle in the stream, and his pasty white thighs are on display for all the world to see. William Hope Planter fascinates me, Gaia says, an ecologist named Hope and Planter. How inspired. Moving right along. I still can't tell whether he's precocious or an imbecile. 
I know about other life forms, but what does one do about a goofy oddball like this? He keeps me wondering what the human species is all about. During this insultingly affectionate dialogue, we see a series of shouts of Bill making self-aware faces at the camera, finishing off with him crossing his eyes, all the more amusing or disturbing for the way he did it very slowly. After that, we are treated to an inexplicable but not unwelcome shot of him doing push-ups on the floor of the cabin. And these aren't girl push-ups either. In fact, these weren't even guy (laughs) push-ups. Seeing him do them. I think there should now be three classifications. One, girly push-ups on knees. Two, guy push-ups, military standard. And three, Bill push-ups, <laughs> able to be performed only by William Shatner. Yay! So, fitness. Another media bill has come. Oh, that is so funny. There were some stomach crunches as well, all performed in a blue denim shirt. And for those of you keeping score at home, the sleeves were not rolled up. A shame. Guy elaborates on the importance of water to all living things. People, mammals, and then penguins. Thousands of adorable penguins. There was something scientific going on here. Perhaps something about how almost all of our drinkable water is frozen in the Arctic regions and global warming is causing us to squander even that supply. But who cares? Penguins on the screen! Gaia continues, For you, William, water is also critical. I've watched you guzzle it down with greed during your sojourns down to the pools beneath the cliffs surrounding the monastery. I've seen how you exult in your addiction to it. During this rather suggestive declaration, we see more of the flannel shirt and brief scene, this time with Bill on his belly, scooping water from the stream and drinking it out of his hand. Then we cut back to the cabin, where Bill is watching that very scene on the computer. Huh? Does that make it more sexy that Shatner is watching himself half-undressed on a computer screen? (laughs) And if so, would it even be more sexy if the Shatner on the screen was fully dressed and the one doing the watching was the half-naked one? These questions may be useful if one of your listeners is trying to think of a topic for their dissertation. <laughs> this is so, so useful and helpful, you guys. I hope you're all taking notes. Um, do you want to take over from that point? Oh, sure. Okay. And then I have some other things to share with okay. you that I've just ah, discovered. I'm going to unplug it for a second. Okay. We're so technologically apt. Okay. Start there. There's a brief segue? Yep. There's a brief segue down to the chemical level, as Gaia tells Bill and us. The water molecule is the most gregarious in all of chemistry. You can't attribute emotions to molecules, Bill scoffs. Oh, William, don't be a bore. They love to cling to one another. I was the unfortunate victim of a clingy water molecule once. A friend introduced me to this molecule at a New Year's party, and I was not into him at all, but he was just hanging on to me the whole night. But that's another story. Bill himself then explains to us, a human being is 70% water. Each of us is a walking urn lugging around 50 quarts of the stuff. It's amazing with so much water in our bodies that we don't slosh ourselves silly during lovemaking. (laughs) I I would gladly slosh him silly. I sat here staring at the screen for five minutes trying to come up with some (laughs) clever comment on the previous sentence, but I just can't. I just can't. (laughs) The last third of the program was a montage of footage that made me feel guilty about being a white American. Gaia shows us places in the world where there is no access to clean water, where people drink from the pools that animals bathe in. There was also a commercial halfway through the segment for one of those collections of easy listening hits of the 70s, and that also made me feel guilty about being a white American. (laughs) 
episode closes with Bill pouring himself a cup of water and posing the question to Gaia, is it half full or half empty? Well, I'll tell you what, at the end of part three, that thing was half empty. This was a very disappointing episode. An entire hour of chatter about water, pictures of water in all its sundry forms, gallons of the stuff flowing all around, and Bill himself frolicking in the general vicinity of water. But not one Shatner swallow. <sighs> well... So, but it did have oh Shatner my God. push-ups. Shatner, I want to see what those are. Now, let me tell you. And I you, want to see the, bla- the black briefs, too. This came out in 1991. This okay. This is recent. Oh, yeah, 25 years. Well, you know, more recent. No, 15. Yeah. Sorry. Okay, I'm um, confused. I just was IMDBing it, and I found out that there was actually a documentary called The Making of the Voice <gasps> of the Planet, <laughs> which we need to get hold of somehow. <laughs> Oh my God! Now you'll be interested to know that the voice of Gaia is actually Faye Dunaway. That's maybe why it yeah, sounds like it her. It sounds like her, and of course William Shatner. And we have to get this. But now it's an hour. I know it's an hour, and I, I really we have to figure out where to get it from. I was just doing a little more googling to try to find information. Yeah. Found an interview in the Shatner newsletter. What's the Shatner newsletter? From the fan club. Oh, okay. Back in the day. Okay. And it's an interview with the guy who directed this. Okay. Michael Tobias. And he's got some funny stories to tell about <gasps> Bill, which I just wanted to read. I haven't read this really thoroughly, but okay. I wanted to mention a few things. Um, so they, he says, we traveled all over the world. We climbed up the French Alps. We went through um, labyrinths of Native American cave dwelling. And Bill and I bonded, he says. <gasps> He did so many things beyond the call of duty that it astonished me that a man could be so generous and so talented, so enthusiastic, and take on a role so unquestioningly. Well, I shouldn't say unquestioningly, but with as little questioning as Bill did, so it was win-win. Of course. Of course. It's so Bill. Um, let's see. He, he, there was something in here about um, all Bill doing his own stunts, of course. Of course. Um, let's see. And his own slurping and sloshing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, even, so he, they were oh, going up to the French Alps. Let me just find this here. Um, in the 10th hour of the series, which is really the finale, the script called for Bill to climb a rock face of about 17,000 feet. It was right beneath Mount Everest. Then Bill informed me he wasn't crazy about heights. I said, what are you saying? And he said, I'm saying I'd like to do this in one take. Ugh. And there we went. He said that he was adamant about doing it himself. <laughs> what, a, what a guy. What a pro. I mean, oh, I love that. I um, do, you know, I was at a con where he, he mentioned that he had a problem with heights and I mean that stopped me dead because I have a little problem with heights mm-hmm. and all I could think of is those scenes in in you know Star Trek 5 yeah I'm going how how can you do even do that if you have even the tiniest problem I know so let me continue yes so they do this and he says um they, you know they tried to keep him safe and there they are with the Sherpa guy up there and he says, what was amazing about the scene is that we did it five or six times. <gasps> the interviewer says, not one time as Bill wanted. And he says, this is so good. The minute Bill got into it, he became such a perfectionist that he was able to transcend any vertigo he might have been experiencing. I'm sure he was because we all were. And make, sh- and make sure he got the scene the way he wanted it. He's a perfectionist. And that was a remarkable insight into William Shatner, I think, because it showed what an artist he is. In that instance, his art meant so much to him that he was willing to transcend his own physical discomfort and fear and make sure of the scene. That was pretty impressive. 
That really is. Oh, I want to read this whole article. Send me that URL. I, I so that will I can definitely. Read it. And then he's talking about Bill jumping out of a helicopter without a rope. <laughs> onto no, the, I forgot the rope. Onto the summit of Mont Blanc in the in the the, uh, the French Alps, and he's just kind of wandering around up there. Um, oh, it's just amazing. This is really really funny to read this whole oh. thing. Oh, Bill. Bill, 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 Well, we Bill, have got Bill. to find Making a Voice of the Planet. And we've I got know. Echo, you know, doing the, the reviews of the of the ten segments for us. So um, if you guys know where, the, where we can get yeah, Making of, that would be great. That would be pretty special. So he closes it by saying, um, and Bill, again, also helped in so many ways I can't even say. Just his generosity and his spirit and his enthusiasm. If it had been anyone else, I suspect it would have been a nightmare because so many stars can be so difficult. You know, they demand better accommodations, better food, more efficient travel plans. You name it. Bill is not like that at all. I mean, Bill is a real down-to-earth great soul. That is so funny to hear that. Well, I know this was a project that was very dear to Bill's heart because of, you know, his own feelings about how we abuse the planet. So I'm sure he was really putting himself right out there to do everything he could to to make this the best it could be. So what a guy! That is so great. I'm so glad you found that. I know it just it just popped up, and now I really want to hear about the rest of this. I want to hear how the scene we just read about him filming actually looks in the thing. <laughs> now <laughs> that we know, but so Echo, the pressure is on you to to, to get us get the rest that. of that stuff, and we have to find the documentary. Yeah. Ugh. Okay, moving on. Um, we found this because of our. <laughs> Adventures at the Star Trek Experience. Yeah. So should I start out with telling about our adventure? Yeah, and then yeah, we'll get yeah. That? Okay. When we were in Quark's Bar, and we were waiting for our food and laughing at over the things on the menu that all had these Star Trek names and how cute they were, we couldn't help but start to make up our own drink names for yeah. things they would, would serve <laughs> in Quark's Bar. And I believe our favorite one that we came up with was Transporter Accident. <laughs> That we wanted to go somewhere and order a transporter accident. That's true. And and as a side note, we're not going to do this right now, but we will do it um, on a, a, a show. But it's something for you guys to think about. We discovered, merely through sitting there and drinking, that um, any Star Trek episode name makes an even better drink name. Mm-hmm. Pick one at random. All our yesterdays. Is that like a perfect drink name or what? Mirror, mirror. Bread and circuses. <gasps> That's really good. It would have croutons in it. It would probably have croutons. Obsession. That's a perfect. That's a. It's a drink name too. <laughs> hey, no fair. You're reading them off a well, list. Well, I thought you were coming up with no, these, but no, I'm no. racking my brain trying to think of episode names. Patterns of Force. Specter of the Gun. These are great drink names. Yeah. So basically, pick any episode name at random, and there's a drink in it. Yeah. So so there is this connection between Star Trek and drinking. <laughs> Aside from In the addition obvious. to the drinking games people have made up about every That's time right, right. I mean, McCoy says yeah. he's dead. Um, oh, also, here's another assignment for you guys. Um, Wolf in the Fold I watched as part of my mm-hmm. fitness program. And three times in this episode, McCoy says, well, twi- twice he says he's dead, Jim, and mm-hmm. once he says she's dead, Jim. Mm-hmm. Is there an episode where he says that more than three mm-hmm. times? I think that's got to be some kind of record. That's a lot. Yeah. That's a whole lot. Yeah. So anyway, in our, our, our laughter and our discussion, I also came up with another one I was thinking oh, about. Yeah. yeah, when you order your drink, yeah. if you want ice, you order it on the Vasquez Rocks. Ha, ha, ha. And we thought, you know, things like, you could also take, um, 
uh, uh, names of equipment, you know, like the, the captain's chair. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and, totally. You know, all the of The Tantalus device. <laughs> that, you know, right there. That's right. That's right, yeah. But anyway, so I don't know how we came up, came to this from that, but we did. And it's um, something in Modern Drunkard Magazine. <laughs> Which is a great name for a magazine. And they did a whole article. Space the Wino Frontier. To explore strange new bars, to seek out new girls and new libations, to boldly get loaded where no lush has got loaded mm-hmm. before. And uh, we just thought this was kind of fun, and I guess we want to share it with you. Yes. Make no mistake, Captain Kirk and his crew were cowboys, and they treated the universe like the Wild West. There was always a lot of solemn talk about the Prime Directive and not interfering with Native cultures, but that went right out the window <laughs> the moment Kirk laid eyes on the first attractive female of whatever species they came across. Sure, they solved a lot of problems, but half the time they were solving problems they created. <laughs> That's <laughs> true. true. The crew of the original Enterprise wasn't trying to unite the universe. They weren't trying to right the universe's many and sundry wrongs. They were looking for kicks. Totally. And alcohol played an essential role in that quest. It was a beautiful situation. You not only got to drink, you got to drink ales, wines, and liquors the human race couldn't even imagine. And they always seemed stronger than our silly earthling libations. Every alien race bragged their booze would floor a human if he so much as looked in the bottle's direction. Klingon blood wine, Romulan ale, saurian brandy. They came on harder than a photon torpedo barrage, and when you woke up, if you woke up, you'd be nursing a nebula-sized hangover, the fastest warp drive in the universe couldn't outrun. Humans were considered the lightweights of the universe, a bunch of Bartle and James swilling high school punks among whiskey-chugging dilithium crystal miners. Then Kirk and his boys came along. Kirk could not only hold his own with the extraterrestrial hooch, (laughs) he was backed up by a hard-pounding crew. Spock wasn't much help. Vulcans are the designated drivers (laughs) of the It's so true. (laughs) But Dr. Leonard Bones McCoy thought so little of the potent alien liquors he administered them as cough syrup. (laughs) And he had skills, too, when he wasn't wiping out planetary epidemics and pronouncing any number of security crewmen dead he was concocting cocktails that would become infamous from one end of the galaxy to the other. And Scotty, don't get me started on that beautiful son of a bitch. Born and bred to it like a bird dog, this Aberdeen son could drink a transporter room full of aliens under the table, then whistle Tura Lura Lura all the way back to his private stash of hooch. i got to point out, Tura Lura Lura is Irish. Irish. These three walk in a Klingon pub, and half an hour later, Klingon heads are hitting tables like Bacchus's own drum roll. And there's a really nice picture of Kirk swigging Saurian brandy out of a bottle from Enemy Within. Yes. It's a great picture. And why shouldn't they have been boozy philanderers? <laughs> <laughs> Their creator, Gene Roddenberry, certainly was. So was the inventor of the warp drive, Zephram Cochran. Zeph refused to pilot a starship sober under any circumstances and was even able to converse that super P- coerce that super PC empath, Counselor Troy, into getting hammered on shots of tequila. It was because of the hard yet somehow enjoyable work of the original crew that Earthlings soon enjoyed a universal reputation as being the hardest drinking wild asses who ever rode a rocket into space. Then everything <laughs> went to hell. Synthethal. It sounds like aftershave without the kick, which is sadly close to the mm. truth. After Kirk finished ripping up and repopulating <laughs> the universe, a bunch of Earl Grey sipping sissies followed <laughs> 
Star Trek The Next Generation absorbed the political correctness of its era and came up with sinister synthahol. Instead of chugging their hooch from bottles liberated from burning Romulan birds of prey, onboard replicators create the libations swilled on the latter-day Federation starships. An obvious bow to MADD, Mothers Against Drunk mm-hmm. Driving, these artificial liquors are supposed to taste and smell exactly like alcohol, but meet out no hangovers, and here's the kicker. Its effects can be easily disregarded. In other words, the current writers are attempting to take advantage of the inherent drama of the ship's lounge and its booze while being able to say to the network censors, it doesn't really get them drunk. (laughs) Problem is, people and aliens keep getting loaded on the stuff. Real alcohol-based hooch is available for the right price. Even that tea-sipping Starship Surrendering Ponce Picard has the bartender keep a bottle of real deal Aldebaran whiskey behind the bar for his own private use. I like Starship Surrendering. (laughs) Make no mistake, though. Just because his family owns a vineyard on Earth and he stashed some good stuff doesn't mean he's a latter-day Kirk. Examine this exchange with the young Wesley Crusher after the lad had tucked into a little hooch. Wesley, so you mean I'm drunk? I feel strange, but also good. Picard, huffily putting aside his knitting. (laughs) Because you have lost the capacity for self-judgment. Alcohol does this, Wesley. Kirk would have challenged the upstart whelp to a Romulan ale drinking contest then hooked him up with an Orion slave girl. (laughs) The only Latter-day crew member who might be cool enough to hang out with Kirk's crew is Worf. Mm -hmm. This is so true who keeps getting the Klingon slogan, slogan, it's a good day to die, mixed up with it's a good day to drink. He also likes dishing out the threats when Picard and his gang of lightweights invite him to have spritzers with them. (laughs) You would be so drunk you would not be able to stand, he tells Riker after he asks for a taste of Klingon hooch. And he expresses the universal drunkard sentiment to Picard, don't get between me and my blood wine, an alien after my own heart. The hardest-drinking human is probably Chief O'Brien down in engineering. There's something about the engineering room that seems to either attract drunks or drive men to drink. Maybe it's that weird low hum that's always coming Mm -hmm. off the dilithium crystals, or the lingering, hard-to-shake realization that if a single molecule of water gets into the antimatter chamber, the whole shebang explodes into a black hole the size of Pluto. Wouldn't you be getting (laughs) hammered any chance you got? As far as... Synthahol tasting exactly like alcohol, well, it didn't pass the Scotty test. He tasted the swill during an appearance on the new Star Trek and was ready to start cracking some heads old Trek style when Data hastily came up with a dusty bottle of Aldebaran whiskey, probably Picard's Mm -hmm. bottle. From that point on, that smarmy android was aces (laughs) in my captain's log. But enough of the new show. Let's get back to the old where the saurian brandy flowed like Klingon blood wine and yeoman wore miniskirts so short they'd make a Ferengi blush. <laughs> Do we want to read the rest of this or just link to it? Uh, how much more is there? There's quite a bit because oh, he, he analyzes the booze in several episodes. Let's just read one. Do the enemy within because that one's so good. Okay. The enemy within. Due to a transporter malfunction, Kirk is split into two separate captains, one wild-ass, <laughs> one mild-mannered, which, coincidentally, is the exact same excuse I use after my fifth shot of tequila. The wild-ass Kirk wastes no time getting the party started, storming into sickbay and demanding a bottle of saurian brandy, which McCoy apparently keeps around for medicinal purposes. When McCoy demurs, <laughs> Kirk goes last call crazy. 
I said, give me the brandy, he snarls, then chokes the doctor a little bit to get his point across. McCoy, rethinking his previous <laughs> selfishness, coughs it up. Kirk snatches it away and starts hitting the hooch the moment he steps into the hallway, managing to almost finish it off before he decides to pay a visit to the quarters of Yeoman Rand, the leggy blonde who'd been giving him the eye. It doesn't go so well from there, <laughs> and Kirk gets a nasty facial scratch for his troubles. Hey, all he wanted to do was party. Anyway, this goes on and analyzes the booze situation in several episodes. Yep. It is the drunk side view of Star Trek. And it's great. It's, very, it's so funny. Very funny. There's also a quick guide to alien alcohol. Uh-huh. And uh, they point out some interesting and funny things about that. But anyway, this could be like a new Star Trek drinking mm-hmm. game, you know, some of the stuff they've got here. And as we were saying, oh, and then there's the top ten signs your starship captain this is, good. is a drunkard. Do you want to read that? Oh, yeah, this is good. Okay, I'll All right. plug again. So, number ten, when Spock mind probes him, Spock gets hammered. <laughs> Number nine, wakes up next to a Klingon chick at least once a week. You could say that about Riker, actually. Yeah. Not that these other things apply to him. <laughs> Number eight, starts the ship's self-destruct sequence just to fuck with the yeoman who blew him off in the officer's <laughs> loud. Number seven, each time you discover a new planet, he tells Spock to scan the surface for cheap scotch and loose females. I think that's a standard order. I think so, I don't too. think he has to give that order. Number six, the first thing he says when negotiating with the Romulans is, so, what's the ale situation? Number five, McCoy tells him, I'm a doctor, Jim, not a bartender. Does he actually say I that? he might have actually said that. <laughs> Number four, he keeps slipping down to the engineering room to, quote, discuss ancient Scottish traditions with Scotty. Number three, giggles every time Spock says they should launch a deep space probe. <laughs> This is great. Two, whenever a female yeoman brings him a clipboard, he tries to open a tab. (laughs) (laughs) And number one is willing to make beer runs into the neutral zone. Yep, yep, yep. That's our Kirk. That's our boy. Oh, that's so funny. So anyway, um, there was a game online you could play, and I believe it was... It was a list of the names of the episodes from Bonanza. Uh Uh-huh. And, oh, a list of something else, and you're supposed to figure out which were Bonanza episodes and which were whatever the other thing Uh is. But you could do that, you know, like you were saying, take the Star Trek episode Uh names and figure out which ones would be drinks. Uh Uh-huh. And... Come up with the ingredients. I think I think we should absolutely do that. You know, I'm going to renew my my efforts to get Miss um, Sunbeam to tell us what goes into a big cardboard Riker. Right. Because I really think that that's something um, everybody should make at least one taste mm-hmm. at least once in their lives. A big cardboard Riker. <laughs> Put some gin in it this time. That's right. <laughs> Okay, I think we ran through my whole list. I think we went through my whole list either. And you know what? This is almost a whole show's worth of stuff. Really? We've just been talking and talking and talking. Well. So I, I think um, this this should be the end of our Christmas show. Do we want to play our chord? <gasps> we have to do the chord. That's going to be our little gift to you as our listeners getting to hear this amazing chord. Because it will make you laugh and laugh and laugh. <laughs> And I think we'll put some links in, as we had done last year, to some of the, the fun Christmas stories that are out there. Oh, good idea. Yeah, so people can read them again. And you can go back and listen to um, 
last year's Christmas show, didn't we read uh, Visions of Sugar Plums? Yes, last I time? believe yeah, we did. Yeah, so you should go and listen to that again because it is such a wonderful story. Yeah. So one, and it's Christmassy. It's Christmassy. It's totally Christmassy. And then I'm going to throw in some extra Christmas music at the end, which I think you'll enjoy. So um, let us close for now. We're going to play the chord so you can <laughs> laugh about the chord. And then we will be back close to the new year with even more wonderful things to talk about. So happy holidays. Happy holidays, everybody. And get hammered in the name of track. <laughs> Thank you.